Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor of Variety. Today, my guest is Chuck Lorre. Lorre is one of the most successful producers in the history of television. If there's ever a Hall of Fame for comedy showrunners, he'll be one of the first inductees. Lori and I sat down on December 5th in West Hollywood for a conversation about how his business, the business of creating TV series, has changed so dramatically in just the past few years. Lori is the contemporary king of broadcast TV comedy. His shows over the years have included Dharma and Greg, Two and a Half Men, The Big Bang Theory, Mike and Molly, Mom, and Young Sheldon. Most recently, he's worked on two very different shows that reflect the breadth of creative opportunities in TV, The Kaminsky Method for Netflix, and the CBS comedy Bob Hart's Abishola. In this interview held as part of Variety's annual Innovate Summit, Lori compares and contrasts the working experience in streaming versus broadcast television. He also offers some frank thoughts about the prolonged battle between the Writers Guild of America and Hollywood's largest talent agencies. Tell us how the expansion of platforms and opportunities for shows has affected your development process, your brainstorming process as you are as you are creating content. Um, I actually don't think about platforms at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if something feels like it, it's worth writing about, exciting to write about, worth being miserable. <laughs> Um, and, is that and just exhausted. a part of the equation? Yeah, no, it is. You it's just go in out, knowing, yeah. miserable, frightened. If it's worth that, then you then you pursue it, and 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 how it's distributed is a is a secondary thing. It's actually, you know, it's a conversation that you have later. Where might this find an audience? But you don't develop for the distribution, you know. Um, you don't wake up thinking, this is a great idea for streaming. No. This is a great idea for a broadcast sitcom. Well, when I was developing uh, the Kaminsky Method, I never really questioned whether or not I was going to walk into a, a, a network and say, I want to do a show about old guys and, and their prostate, Older gentlemen. And <laughs> prostate issues. And I, I, I knew that would probably be a non-starter. You know, because that, that, that's still a business seems to be driven by demographics. Whereas the streaming environment's driven by subscriptions, so how old you are is irrelevant. It's are, do you are you there or not is all that matters. Right. Which, do you pay the monthly bill? Yeah, which is you know from a writing perspective uh, is uh, is liberating. You're not concerned with how old the audience is. You're concerned with whether or not there is one, and and it doesn't you know you're not differentiating between groups of people. Mm-hmm. So, well, you may not may not like specifically craft ideas at the very germ stage for an ABC or a Hulu or a Netflix. It it sounds like though, from what you're saying though, is that just the awareness that there are so many more platforms that will that are interested in shows yeah. allowed you to, to pursue yeah. something like. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to write about what it you know the, the minutia of getting older. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't want to do you know. Two old guys rob a bank. I, I, right. You know, I, I wanted to do. Peter Falk did that perfectly. It, it's been done. Ago. It's <laughs> been done. It's been done very well. Uh, it's been done a lot. But I wanted to do, uh, you know, a, a, to write about, you know, the, through this friendship, um, you know, the, the different issues that aren't necessarily discussed. Mm-hmm. And I thought 
actually could be funny. Um, Especially in the hands of Michael Douglas, uh, Douglas and, and Alan Arkin, Arkin yeah. who play just to just for those who who are going to run out of this room and watch Kaminsky Method. If Damn they're right. not, if they're not, it is the, the basic premise is Michael Douglas plays an, a character actor who's known as an acting coach. Alan Arkin plays his longtime agent, right. and they navigate Hollywood as you know. They navigate middle aged, older. older. Yeah, yeah. They just navigate you know losing loved ones, health issues. Adult children with serious issues, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and you know just uh, the the fears of being irrelevant is an issue that you can write about in, in an environment like that where you're not concerned about uh, eighteen to forty nine. Right. The tone of the show is so specific, and so it, as you say, it deals with heavy issues. In the first season, Alan Arkin's character was dealing, <clears throat> excuse me, with the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you how do you navigate the tone of that show? <sighs> Gingerly, yeah. uh, inefficiently. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm I, I'm I'm, tra- I'm I'm a comedy writer. That's what I've been doing for thirty years. So um, I'll get that. Um, I I think that if you're putting something forward and you're calling it a comedy there's there's an obligation that laughter should somewhere be involved Um, laughter not oh my that's amusing but laughter Um, and uh, so that's the way I I write I'm, I'm looking for those moments that might actually be genuinely funny but this this environment, this platform, not working in front of an audience, which is what I've been doing. Right, that's for decades, a big shift. Yeah, uh, allowed for uh, more intimate moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pacing changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, your pacing in front of an audience is much more rapid, and also in network television. I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. It, it, right now, it's about 21 minutes. When you take out the commercials, yeah. which is like haiku, yeah, it's it's really it's it's a limerick almost, and um, <laughs> and you're and you're constantly writing, uh, knowing that you can lose the audience at any minute, and 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 if they break for four minutes of commercials, which will all be drugs, I believe, it's all drugs now, <laughs> drugs and F one fifties, they may not come back. I mean, the, the commercials are uh, uh, this 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 obstacle to maintaining a relationship with the audience, and so you're always writing, hoping that, that whatever you're doing is enough to pull them along and, and 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 ask the audience to put up with the interruption. So it's a different kind of writing. It, it's uh, it's somewhat fear-based, I think, and uh, in, in that the, the the relationship is so fragile. Working now that you have worked on a couple of shows in the commercial free realm, has that heightened your sensitivity to the to the to writing a show where you know you have to have your act breaks? You know you're going to have those four minute, four, you know, four to five minute pods of downtime for the audience. Well, you're not writing to an act break, you know. Right in the commercial free there's, realm, yeah. there's no, you know, you're not writing to the perils of Pauline Cliffhanger, mm-hmm. which you hope will bring the audience back right. after four minutes. Of, of far, big pharma, right? Cholesterol drugs, and and um, so the story just flows, and um, and and um, 
And also, in, in like the Netflix environment, uh, if the audience is watching show four, you know they've watched one, two, and three. And nobody jumps into a binge environment in the middle. Um, and network television, you, you never know whether the audience was there last week. In fact, even if the show's really successful, I, I've been told, I don't know, I've never known this to be verified, but the audience turnover from week to week, even in a big hit show, is enormous. The, the ratings may be the same, but the audience, the actual the human beings who are watching the show, changes dramatically week to week. And uh, so you don't have that continuity of storytelling. So uh, Kaminsky, to me, was like a four-hour movie. You know, eight episodes, around 30 minutes apiece. And you can't, you can't talk about this without realizing that the, it doesn't matter if it's 32 minutes or 22 minutes or 28 minutes. Just tell the best story that you can, and you're not, you're not locked into that box that has to be 21 minutes long. Um, I'd, I'd never known that kind of freedom. It was, it's, it's really something. Was that a, a whole new muscle that you had to develop in terms of, in terms of your process? My training been is to in... get the show on, on time. Mm-hmm. You know, after 30 years of network television, my, I've, I've been trained to, you know, try and estimate how long will this script be? Will it fit in that 8 to 8.30 box? Or eight. Well, it's you know again, it's twenty-one minutes and change. I, I'm not exactly sure, but um, when you're writing a script uh, in the streaming universe, you just write the script, and uh, and it's it's really not a concern, which from a writing perspective is is a joy. Is there a aspect of um, you say the, the, the streaming shows tend to be more intimate, kind of more more, um, you know. A, a different type of storytelling. Does well, it, the does cam- it- even, well, even you know, without an audience, the camera can come in close. I, I've never done that. Right. I mean, right. uh, uh, the 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 four camera show is essentially a play put on in front of an audience, and the camera never gets much closer than here, the elbows, and uh, so the face of an actor, which is a powerful, powerful thing when you have the right actor, when you have Michael Douglas, Alan Arkin. Is a, is a, is a, a, something you, you don't have access to in front of an audience. So uh, you know, shooting without the audience, shooting, sh- shooting it as a film, uh, was an entirely different way of, of telling a story, which was new to honestly was new to me. I had to learn how to do it. And is there a, is there a, a process of whereas if you're writing a network sitcom, it might be more of a writer's room situation where you're coming up with. Ideas and stories and lines versus. You have to do 22 to 24 shows right. in nine months. I've watched people try so you and need do a that. Team. Al- I've watched right. people try and do that alone, and, and it seems to be a recipe for failure. If you do it alone, you burn out. You just burn out. Yeah. And I've seen remarkable writers burn out if they think that's a one-man job. It's not. It's it's too much. It's exhausting. So this was eight episodes of which you know I I, I wrote them all. I co-wrote the last two, and I wrote the first six because I wanted to. And, uh, and uh, it was actually, it was a, 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 I hadn't written alone in, since 1987. Might have been so a little scary. It, it was. Like, yeah. It was, but it was also liberating because I, I, I thought, well, look at that. I, I, I'm doing this because I believe in it. Uh, there's no sense it's being taken with a room full of comedy writers. Uh, I'm not looking for anyone to uh, say it's okay. I'm just, I just, I, I believe in this 
let's shoot this. And, and if it's wrong, it's wrong on me. It's, it's you know. And, uh, but the training in four camera shows in front of an audience is still, if the audience doesn't laugh when you're putting on a show, when you're doing the Big Bang Theory and there's 200 some odd people there and they're, they're, they're eager to see the show. They, they wait two years to get tickets to see that show. If they don't laugh, we rewrite the material right there and we reshoot the scenes in front of them. So I'm still, even without the audience, I'm still, the audience is in my head. I can't get them out. You know, I mean, you, you just, you can't ignore the fact, you can't look at something and go, it's not funny, moving on. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. No, no, there's no moving on, it doesn't work. The quiet is the death knell for you. you yeah, and if you don't think it's going to work, then, then you can't move forward, which, uh, which is why, you know, I babysat uh, every moment of shooting the Kaminsky Method. I was there on the set uh, on every episode, on every scene, because I, I didn't want to go to editing and find out it didn't work. I want to know now. And frankly, you know, about a, 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 I hate to say it, it's probably about 30% of every script doesn't work. I, you know, I, I wish I was better. And, when, and it, so. <laughs> when, when you're shooting, not with an audience, but when you're shooting a single camera show like Kaminsky, when, do, is there a point when you kind of get that sense of, oh, oh that's the 30% that doesn't work? Oh, absolutely. And you don't have that? Oh, absolutely. And you yeah. have that, you get that through... You get a great actor. When you get a great actor, you know, Alison Janney says a line, and it's not funny. It's the line. You know, it's the dialogue. The star of your CBS show, Mom. Mom, yeah. Um, so, your you know, Emmy-winning star. Multiple. Yes, multiple everything winning. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, change the line. Because, you know, because um, if it's remotely good, Allison's going to knock it out of the park, right? But you didn't... I promise myself no baseball metaphors. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Um, but you did not. Do, do you have that same experience if you're doing like a run through or a read through with yeah. Alan Arkin? So you, yeah. you'll have that same experience. Oh, it's just a different setting where you. It's an internal setting. I mean, you have to. You know, the audience. There's no audience. It's 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 in, internally going. Uh, this isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And I got these two world class actors here. So it's the script. It's the script. So fix the script. Is uh, you know because the alternative, and and that's another thing. That I did not have in audience shows. You can't really edit your way out of a bad scene. It's kind of what it is. Um, uh, so best to fix it before you shoot it. Mm-hmm. Then try and fix it in in an editing bay. And that sounds like something you've learned through years of experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's much easier to uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that you're not as smart as you think you are. <laughs> or maybe fix funny. the script, or funny, and fix the script, and then, and then shoot it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On Kaminsky, are there, people that, are there people that you rely on to tell you, or is it you really go on your gut in terms of what? I, I, Al Higgins uh, was with me every step of the way, and Al and I worked together on Mike and Molly, mm-hmm. and we're working together on Bob Hart's Abby Shola, and uh, I, I leaned on him heavily. <laughs> In the in in a show where where the, all the episodes drop at once in the binge model like a Netflix show, do you, is there a pressure? or Do you feel a need to because people might be watching multiple in a row? Do you feel a need to kind of have a real cliffhanger or something very compelling at the end to to bring people into another episode to keep them from stopping when the, the next episode automatically starts playing? I was really worried about that because you know after doing the one show a week for many many years. Um, I didn't know, I didn't understand 
having them all be there. Um, but it turns out that uh, having them all there for the viewer is like uh, giving them a, a book. Mm-hmm. And you can read a chapter in a book, and then you can read the next chapter, or you can put the book down. Right? And uh, It's time to go to sleep. It's time to go to sleep. Uh, or, hey, that was really good. I want to see what happens next, and you keep reading. So uh, it changes the way the story unfolds. The story, it's not so episodic. In other words, the, the, uh, the 30 minutes doesn't have to wrap everything up, which you're kind of under pressure to do that in a network show because you don't know if the audience is going to be back the following. Right. Right. Um, one of the things that is also changing about, um, you know, outside from the creative, uh, the sort of qualitative aspect of TV is behind the scenes, there are the advent of streaming and the introduction of, you know, a lot of money into the system, which, you know, which isn't, certainly is not a bad thing for the creative community, but a lot of compensation formulas, the way writers get paid, the way series are valued long term, Mm -hmm. remuneration for hardworking creators and showrunners is changing. Uh, You have had great success in broadcast TV. Is any of what is changing in the streaming world, does that give you concern? There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of debate going on in the industry right now about Um, about how streaming is going to affect the whole world of profit participation and and creative remuneration. If these different streaming platforms are all there and are, are thriving, then they become the new maybe aftermarket mm-hmm. for a, a show that's successful? They buy out your syndication, sort essentially. Of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I didn't really think, I didn't really give that a second thought till a few months ago. It dawned on me that that might, in fact, be what replaces Channel 9. You know, WOR in New York, which would buy the reruns of a, of a, of a half-hour comedy. Um, the, the, was it Tribune and Fox and right and all these different stations? The groups. local that was broadcast the syndication but, but that maybe, was the home but, run. That maybe the market for television shows after they're on the network, maybe that moves to the. It certainly seems to be doing that. Sure. When Friends and Frasier and The Office and right. Things like that seem to be valuable. Not only old shows, but even even the shows that are being, that, that, you know, a Kaminsky method is, you're, you're guessing that your financial template is very different. But it sounds like I, yeah, you're focused on. I, I just wanted to do this. I didn't even think. You want to make your show. I just wanted to make this show. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. How am I doing on that, Peter? We we break even? <laughs> we, we even, kind of, red, black, what? No? All right. There'll be a call to Ted Sarandos later today. Um, you are right now, you are, well, you, you finished season two of Kaminsky, yeah. and you've got two, sh- two shows right now on, on CBS, Mom, and a, and a charming new show called Bob Hart's Abishola. And Young Sheldon. And Young Sheldon, oh yeah, yeah. For, I couldn't, couldn't forget Young Sheldon. Um, doing, juggling all these different shows, and Young Sheldon is a different kind of network show, because yeah. Young Sheldon is also a single camera single show. Camera, yeah. Juggling all these kind of different formats, has, does it make you kind of attuned to creative issues in a different way, just since you're working so many different sort of creative muscles? I, I think the two years of the Kaminsky method, and, and also doing Young Sheldon uh, as, a, as a single camera film show, has changed the way I write. It's changed the way I think of the pacing and tone of the shows. Um, I, I, I just, it, was a, it was a tool I didn't have. You know, I've just been doing the audience for camera, live audience show for almost 30 years. 
So I, I, I'd like to think I learned something by doing, a diff- doing something differently. And it changes the way you do an audience show. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, maybe you have more trust in a moment that isn't necessarily a, a big joke. Maybe it, it isn't necessarily something geared to, 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 you know, to surprise the audience abruptly, but might be a, a subtler moment, but, but a satisfying moment. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, just a terrific chemistry between your leads in Bob Hart's Abishola, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, there's a there's a there's a tonal difference a l- little bit. That's, there's a sweetness to that show that mm-hmm. is very you know different from the bump bump of the of the classic traditional sitcom. I hope I'm not doing bump bump. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't mean to, didn't mean to make it pejorative. Right. No no no. Uh, yeah I get it. Um, yeah no it's different and uh, you know. The, the show by design was an opportunity to to pay homage to immigrants, and not just a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, it's 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 not just they're very different. Will they make it work? Mm-hmm. It's it's she and her family have come from an entirely different culture and are trying to make it work. A Nigerian nurse immigrant in the U.S. Yeah. and uh, a, a patient, Billy Gardell, falls for her. And yeah. it's a very... Yeah. yeah. So, so that was, again, that, that just felt, well, this is interesting. This might be a horrible, horrible idea, but it feels exciting to try. And, and again, uh, it's so far out of my comfort zone. I wouldn't have gone forward had we not found uh, Jeannie Yashire, who was a stand-up comedian, Nigerian descent. We found her in England. She was in London and doing stand-up, and um, we flew her to Los Angeles to consult, and then we just fell in love and said, no, you're not leaving, you stay, and why don't you be in the show, too? So she plays Abby Shola's best friend, Kemi, and uh, she made it viable. I Mm. mean, otherwise we would... I wouldn't have done it because I don't want to. I don't want to pretend that I know something I don't, I, and I certainly can't bring any. I, I you know, I, I've seen the immigrant experience. I lived in Miami in the '70s, and I saw the Cuban, you know, immigration, and it was exciting. It was really exciting, and it, it, the same idea came to this. That people come to this country just full of enthusiasm and determination. To, to get you know to get a, to, to find some ground under their feet and it's worth writing about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it's a nice it's a nice change from the you know the the domestic comedy template that is you know that is at this point pretty well worn without some kind of element like an immigrant experience or something to mm-hmm. kind of make it to make mm-hmm. it stand out. One of the things, Chuck, I know you've done in the last couple of years is you've made a point of working with, you know, you have quite a team of writers and working with younger writers help you, the benefit of your many years in television to help younger writers come aboard. What are you finding in terms of the types of people that are drawn to, to television writing and particularly comedy writing these days? Is there anything, anything that you notice in kind of the younger generation coming up that you're working with in terms of their interests, their, their tools, their training? As a group, comedy writers are broken. <laughs> and uh, um, why we need agents. Because <laughs> otherwise, if we'd represent ourselves, we'd be crying all the time. Um, but, you know, the, from, you know, from various stages of dysfunction and darkness, you can either become a bitter, you know, 
bitter son of a bitch, or or write about mass murder. Or, There's or, a market for that. Yes, and there is. And, or, or you channel it into 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 laughing, at 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 whatever it is, um, you know. And if you had a wonderful childhood, you know, you become a network executive. So, you know, so, you know and that's fine. That's fine. That's you know, it's terrific. There's a comedy writer gene. I, I, I think it's I think it's a broken chromosome. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's a gene, but uh, but you know, as as a group, I kind of noticed that 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 hurt turns into comedy for certain kinds of people. You know, and uh, and and it could be mean comedy. You know, it could be striking back comedy. We've, we've seen you know, that. And, sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've always thought, after having done this a while, that the first two places a comedy writer goes is mean and stupid. You know, and they're both work. They're both really fertile areas for comedy. But you can go further. You don't have to stop there. You know, comedy can come from compassion. Misplaced compassion can be as funny as just people tearing each other apart. So, uh, you know, there are other colors on the palette other than, uh, you know, um, insult comedy and, uh, and uh, you know, look how stupid these people are, mm-hmm. which is the Harvard approach. Yeah. <laughs> From the lampoon? The lampoon the right. yeah. is, look how stupid all these people are. Ha ha. Well, that's quite a segue to my, to my last question for you, which you hinted at. Let me ask you, there is, right now, this is a little off the topic, but um, right now, the creative community is is in some turmoil because of the situation you referenced. Uh, writers, the Writers Guild of America, is in a is in a very big dispute right now with the industry's largest talent agencies mm-hmm. uh, about issues related to to packaging, which is way too long for me to explain here. Packaging and production entities. A lot of the agencies are getting bigger and have production arms, and that's been a real concern in terms of conflicts of interest. Can I ask you where you stand? This, this dispute is going on nine, ten months. Do you, yeah, think it's, do you think that the sides need to do more talking? What, where do you th- what do you think about this? And, and do you think it's affecting things? Um, it, it hasn't impacted on us, because uh, we, we've kind of a self-contained a little environment. When Big Bang wrapped last spring, almost the entire writing staff moved over to Young Sheldon. Mm-hmm. You know, so we weren't out shopping right. writers. And you've been based at Warner Brothers for many years. Yeah. You, you're part of the yeah, and, part and, of the family there. And and I'm working with writers that I, we've worked together for decades. I mean, there's people on on uh, on these shows, camera people and and, and crew people. Go back to Roseanne in '92, '91, mm-hmm. '92. So, these are long relationships, and, and they're they're worth cherishing because it uh, it creates a, a really uh, is a shorthand. You know, I mean, we 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 all on the same page mm-hmm. trying to get something done. I, I don't know that I can speak to the larger issue about agencies and packaging. Um, I didn't understand any of this when I was coming up. I found out about my shows being packaged years after <laughs> I should have known. I just didn't know. Um, it was kind of stealthy. <laughs> oh, by the way, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, over time I've been able to say, uh, uh, no, no, you don't get a package because you got a story editor on the show. Mm-hmm. No, the package 
is credible if you've put together all these elements and made this thing happen. But generally, that's not what happens. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a form of extortion. Um, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you mean it in it, the nicest way. Let's call it a tithe. <laughs> or if you just watch the Irishman, the vig. You know, um, you know it, it's the troll at the bridge saying, pay me to cross. Um, <laughs> that's wrong, too. <laughs> It's a you know, tricky it, issue. It, it absolutely is. I, I, I'm really sim- it's really simple to me. You want to put the money on the screen. Right. You, if people are getting paid to do nothing, that doesn't make a better show. You know? So if people are doing something and contributing, yeah, great. Sure. Sure. You know, step up to the buffet. You know, have some shrimp. Um, but uh, there has been, traditionally in this business... Uh, people grabbing uh, some many hands in the pot. many hands in the pot, and, and and sometimes it's credible and it's and it's legitimate, and sometimes it's just greed. But all right, show me a business that doesn't have some element of that, because uh, I'm not aware of it. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. Well, one of one of many issues that this industry is going to probably going to have to sort out in the next year. Chuck, I have overstayed our time. Thank you so much sure. for Thank coming you. and being with us today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.